It's been uh, several weeks since, uh, maybe more than that, since um, uh, I was here and I just driving to church uh, this morning to be with you. Um, Lord, just filled my heart with his peace and and um, and his word. And it's so good. I think since uh, the times that I visited in the past, today I see the most number of people. And so um, I would love to meet all of you later today at uh, the meet and greet. And I'm glad that you're here because I know that God loves you and he has a word for you this morning. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, as we come before you this morning and as we open up your beautiful word that does not return void. Lord, may we see more of you. And God, may we experience you. May we just not learn more about you intellectually. But God, may your presence and your reality fill our hearts this morning. Lord, we all came to church this morning with needs, hurts, and God, you see it all. And I pray, God, that through your beautiful word that is perfect and that is powerful and that still heals today, that, God, you would use your word to touch people's hearts and to draw them closer to you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You know, we have two choices in life. We can either worship or we can worry. And you can worry about your future, about finances, about family, about relationships with others. But the good news is that the Bible uh, speaks to us. It reveals to us how we can turn our worries into worship. And we're going to turn to our morning passage this morning. Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles, chapter 20. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 30. Second Chronicles, chapter 20, verses 1 through 30. Second Chronicles, chapter 20, verses 1 through 30. And I'm going to begin here with verse 1 of Second Chronicles chapter 20. This is a reading of God's word. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Mennonites came to war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom. From the other side of the sea, it is already Hazazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Verse 3. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. Let me stop there. If you want to turn your worries into worship, because Jehoshaphat and his people had a reason to worry, because they were about to be attacked. And the first thing that we find Jehoshaphat doing in verse 3 is he asks the Lord for help. If you want to turn any kind of concern, anxiety, Worry, And in that moment where nothing is resolved, there is no answer. The first step that we see Jehoshaphat taking is he goes to the Lord. He asks God for help. He asks God to help him. He goes directly to God with his problem. The context is three enemy nations were coming against Israel, not to talk or have a conversation, but they were coming to kill them. 
And these enemy nations wanted to wipe out Israel. So facing imminent death, Jehoshaphat does the only thing that he could do. He takes it to the Lord in prayer. Let's look at verse 3 again. Alarm, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. I like what Jehoshaphat does. He takes it to the Lord. And another thing that we pick up here in verse 4, let's read verse 4. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Jehoshaphat was a wise man because he knows that there's strength in numbers. Not only did he go to the Lord directly, but he encouraged all the people to go to the Lord as well and to pray and to fast. He rallied the whole nation to go to the Lord. Fear is not our problem. Our problem is what do we do when we're afraid? Fear is not our problem, but what do we do when we are afraid? We need to allow our fears to motivate us to go to God. We need to trust God more and have more courage. We need to let our fears motivate us like it did Jehoshaphat to go to the Lord. You see, I think fear is a good thing if it causes you to seek God and pray. I want to ask you a question this morning. When you're worried, when you're afraid, when you're anxious, what do you do? Who do you go to first? There's a, a real TV show called Cops. It's a 30-minute show, and I remember watching it growing up as a kid. And it's about how police catch the criminals. And to this day, it amazes me why the bad guys run. Because they always end up getting caught. The statistic is that their plans to get away from the police, 99.9% of the time, they get caught. And they get caught in one of three ways. If they try to get away by foot, eventually the police dog or the officer ends up catching them. If they try to get away by car, they run out of gas, or the police uses a procedure called the pit maneuver, pinning the car to catch them. If they try to hide by climbing up a tree or hiding inside of a trash can, the police taser them. And these criminals end up compounding their problems by panicking instead of uh, being self-reliant. They compound their problems. And in the same way, I think as believers, we can compound our problems when fear, anxiety, and problems occur in our lives. And rather than going to the Lord, we become self-reliant. We try to solve it ourselves. Or even if we go to people first, going to people is not wrong. God created friendships and God created the church. But who do you go to first? Jehoshaphat doesn't go to his advisors. He doesn't go to his administrators or the people under him. He goes to the Lord and then he rallies the people to also go to the Lord. This is a good formula here that we see. Good model for us to practice even today. And so he first seeks God. Anytime we ask the Lord for help, it is an act of worship because we are telling God that we are trusting him. If you're here today and you have a wayward child and you're praying for them to come back to the faith, you're here today and you're just having financial hardship. You don't know how you're going to pay for your bills. Things are tight at home. If you're here today and you're in transition and you're unemployed and you've been unemployed for a substantial amount of time, and you're seeking God. If you're here today and you know of a friend or maybe your own marriage is on the rocks. 
If you're here today and you have a loved one who is sick and ill and it's getting worse. And there's no job in sight. There's no cure in sight. The wayward child, there's no sign of him or her coming back. I want to encourage you this morning, based on the word of God, you still can worship God in the midst of that unanswered prayer by taking it to the Lord in prayer. That's what we see Jehoshaphat doing. Anytime we ask God for help, it is an act of worship because we are saying, God, I trust you. I know you guys all know the first greatest commandment. First greatest, first greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your, help me out, heart, soul, mind. Yes. But do you guys also know what Hebrews 11.6 says? Without faith, it is to please God. I know the church focuses a lot on love because that is the greatest commandment. But I also know, according to Hebrews 11.6, that it specifically says that God is pleased when we trust Him wholeheartedly. And you know, just even as a human being, when my wife, even though I'm imperfect and I make many mistakes, I not only desire her love, but I desire her trust. That's why at the Bible in Ephesians, it says that men translate love from their wives and from others through respect. And women through service. Not that men don't want service, but that's what the word of God says. And in the same way, God not only desires our love, but he desires our trust. And when we're going through times of anxiety, hardship, and there's no answer in sight, and we get on our knees and come before God, and we seek his face. God looks at his children who do that. If you have kids of your own, who not only love you, but trust mom and dad. Trust mom and dad to take care of them. You don't know what that does to a, to a human parent. Imagine what that would do to our Heavenly Father. God not only wants to be loved, but he wants your worship. He wants you to trust him. He wants me to trust him. I think that's one of the purest forms of faith. Just like Apostle Paul, when he was in prison and he wrote most of his letters in the New Testament, he was in prison. And you can see his faith because he turned to God. He worshipped. I want to encourage you, church. Whatever situation you're in, God sees you. And although he didn't make that happen, he allowed it to happen so that you could seek him. Because God desires not only our love, but he desires our trust. And we see Jehoshaphat, this is a good king, taking all the nation as well as himself and going before the Lord. The second thing that we see him doing, second way we could turn our worries into worship, is by believing that God can handle our situation. Believing that God can handle our situation. Let's look at verse 5 and 6. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and verse 6 and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. 
I love that. What is he doing? Nations are still coming. They haven't defeated their enemies. They don't know because we, we know because we read this story. But in that moment, Jehoshaphat and the nation do not know whether they're going to live or die. But in faith, his, the nation as well as himself, Jehoshaphat, they say this before the Lord. They declare this. And they, they are basically saying to God, we don't know what's going to happen, but we trust that you can take care of the situation. We don't know how you're going to take care of it, but we trust that you can. They believe that God can handle their situation. And there's two ways in this passage that we can see how God handles their situation and how God also handles our situation. Look at verse 6. Let's reread that again. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God who is in heaven? You rule over all the nations, kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. What is Jehoshaphat doing? He is reminding them of who God is, how big of a God that they serve. And he specifically focuses on God's power. Where do we see this? We see it in verse six. He says power. He says it right there. The latter part of verse six. Power and might are in your hand. And no one can withstand you. No one can withstand you. He focuses on the power of God. You know, when the, when the uh, nation of Israel saw uh, Goliath, we all, if you know this story, and the nation, when they, saw them, when they saw this giant, you know what they said to themselves? He is so big, we're going to die. But do you know when David saw Goliath? Do you know what David said? He's so big, I can't miss. <laughs> Same giant. Nation says, he's so big, we're going to die. But David sees Goliath through eyes of faith. He says, he's so big, I'm not going to miss. It's all same challenge, same problem, same enemy. But it's eyes of faith versus eyes of sight. And before David went to fight Goliath, King Saul tried to dress him up in his own armor in Saul's armor, but David says in 1 Samuel 17, 45, you come against me with sword, spear, and javelin. But he says this to Goliath, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, whom you have defied. How does David approach Goliath? In his power, in his armor, in his might, in his resources? No, in the name of the Lord Almighty. Same thing as Jehoshaphat. Luke 18.27 says, With men, things are impossible, but nothing is impossible with the Lord. And Jehoshaphat, David, they all knew this. And they were able to live in victory. I love what Psalm 48.14 says, For this is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide until the end. We need to be aware of God's power on a consistent basis, but also God's presence. For I love what the Bible says throughout Psalm, Psalm 19, 28. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Psalm 119, 49 through 50. Remember your, uh, this, uh, this word to your servant that you have given me hope. My comfort in my suffering is this. Your promise preserves my life. Psalm 68, 19, 20. Praise be to the Lord, our God, our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. 
and he saves those who are uh, who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength and ever present help and ever present help, even for you and you and all of us here today in times of trouble. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, never will I leave you or forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. I will not be afraid. We need to allow the word of God to penetrate deeply into our hearts. And we need to meditate on it so that it it fills every corner of our being. And we walk in victory, even in the midst of challenges. And that's what we see King Jehoshaphat and the nation doing. They believe that God could handle the situation by looking into his power, reminding themselves, and then his presence, as well as his promises through his word. And we must do the same. You know, um, as I'm getting older, um, I realize how much uh, faith is such a big, big factor and how God allows tests of faith in my life uh, to occur. Do you know that uh, a lifeguard cannot save anyone that is drowning, that is trying to save themselves? The statistics are the survival rate is higher when the person drowning, uh, they don't panic, but they just surrender. So the lifeguard could take them to shore when they cooperate and listen. In the same way, um, I want to ask you this morning as I ask myself, are we trying to save ourselves? from the hardships and the difficulties that we're facing? Or will we allow the Lord to rescue and save us as we surrender and remain diligent, vigilant, and faithful? You guys have heard this before, but there's a saying, let go and let God, and there's some truth to that. And that's what we see in our passage this morning. Jehoshaphat and the nation the Bible, three, over 365 times, you could find verses in the Bible that say, do not be afraid. That's one for every day of the year. Because God does not lose. God does not lose. He does not lose his battles. Let's read verses uh, 7 through 12. O oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and built it as a sanctuary for your name, saying, verse 9, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, will we stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us? Verse 10, But now here are men from Amnon, Moab, and Mount Sur, whose territory you would have not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. Verse 11, see how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Verse 12, our, oh, our God, you will not judge them for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. Jehoshaphat's talking about these enemies that are coming after him. Three enemies that are coming after him. Three armies. And then I love the latter part of verse 12. He says this, We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. I love that. 
I love that. He's at a point where he comes to the end of himself. Verse 12, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are upon you is one of my life verses. Now, don't misunderstand, I don't know what to do, meaning that we don't have the word of God. We know what to do. The word of God tells us. In this context, it's referring to when you feel overwhelmed. You know God's word. You live according to God's word. But the wayward child that you're praying for hasn't returned home. Your finances are running dry and you don't know how you're going to pay next month's rent. You have a family member or or sickness of a loved one and they're not getting better. Your own marriage or one of your friend's marriage that you know of is on the rocks and on the edge of divorce. It's speaking about you're living God's word, you're trusting God's word, you're praying. And yet, you see no light at the end of the tunnel. That's what it's referring to. It's referring to when you're overwhelmed and you don't think you can move on. And it's in that context, Jehoshaphat says, God, my army cannot beat these three armies that are coming to kill us. I don't have the weapons or the men. God, I have been a good king. I have sought you and prayed. I have led the people well. But I have come to the end of myself. I don't know what to do. But my eyes are upon you. It's in that context. It's in the context where you're completely broken. And unless God does a miracle, there's no way out. That's what he's talking about. And in verses 20 through 21, we see an amazing thing happen. Amazing thing happen. But before I read that, there are times in your life where you do come to the end of yourself, as I have come to the end of myself. I remember many years ago, there was a faithful couple who was attending our church. Faithful. On my leadership team. But um, could not have kids. They didn't, matter of fact, go through one miscarriage or two miscarriages, but three miscarriages. And at that time, as a pastor of married couples, um, adult ministry, I was in my mid-30s. And I realized I prayed with this couple. I gave them God's word. I encouraged them. But there's a certain time when you realize no amount of seminary education No amount of giving a cute sermon is going to bring peace to this couple. And I remember praying as I was driving home in tears because I loved this couple dearly and they were faithful. God, I don't know what to do. But my eyes are upon you. Unless the Holy Spirit who lives in this couple gives them supernatural peace that your word promises I cannot, as a pastor, make it happen. God, you're the one that does miracles. And through the course of many weeks and months, and several years afterwards, they were able to conceive. And now, you know, we've we've transitioned, and even though we don't attend the same church, I ran into them at Chick-fil-A some time ago. And... um, and, they, and we, one thing they said was, Pastor Steve, uh, 
that was one of the darkest hours that we had. And we thank you because you weren't overly aggressive or preachy to us, but you were with us and you prayed with us. And remember you calling upon God to give us that peace. So even after you transitioned down and started another ministry, we continue that as husband and wife. We continue to call upon God ourselves. And we made it and God's blessed us. I want to just, again, encourage you. You will come, there will be times in your life when you come to a point where the only thing you can do is pray and ask God to bring the healing, for him to bring the comfort. In verses 20 through 21, the third and final step of turning our worries into worship, and this is amazing, is by expressing thanks to God in advance. Let's read verse 20 and 21 of Second Chronicles 20. This is what it says. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah, and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. As they went out ahead of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Now, the context is, that this is before the victory. They are worshiping, praising God as Jehoshaphat and the nation. They're just walking in victory already, thanking God and they're shouting, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And they are worshiping in advance. If you wait to thank God after the problem is solved, that's called gratitude. But if you thank God before the problem is solved, That's called faith. And the Bible tells us to live by faith, not by sight. We need to thank God even in the midst of our problems. So if you're here today and your problems, your your body ache, maybe perhaps your sickness, perhaps that marriage that's on the divorce, perhaps there's no you're still unemployed, perhaps uh, someone's marriage is on the rocks and it's still on the rocks in that moment you still give thanks to the Lord. And look what happens in verse 22. As they began to sing and praise the Lord, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Amnon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. Verse 23, The men of Amnon, Moab, rose up against the men of Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they had finished slaughtering men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. That's amazing. Now, when you study this at home, how many times did Jehoshaphat and the nation of Israel praise and worship God before the victory? Verse 4, verse 9, verse 12, verse 13, verse 18, verse 19, verse 22. Seven times they gave thanks to God in advance before the victory. And I want to encourage all of us this morning as a rhetorical question. How many times do we thank God before they answer prayer. I want to encourage you this morning. Thank him. Thank him. Thank him in the midst of your unemployment. Thank him in the midst of your wayward child not returning, but hopefully will. Thank him in the midst of illness and pain. 
Because when you thank God in advance, you are worshiping Him. And you're telling God, God, not only do I love you, but I trust you. And the Bible says, Hebrews eleven six, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And we need to please God, not just love Him. In response, God says, I will honor your faith. I want us to look at verse 15. Look at verse 15. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says to you. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. I love that. The battle is not yours, but God's. Look at verse 17. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. The battle is not yours, but God's, and you will not have to fight this battle. How do we allow God to fight our battles? How do we turn our worries into worship? We first go to him directly. And then secondly, by believing that God can handle the situation, by meditating on his power, his presence, and his promises. And then lastly, by expressing things to God in advance. And in verse 22 through 23, as I just read, the Lord caused the enemies to start fighting amongst each other and killing themselves. Imagine that. You're a rival army trying to kill Judah. And it's like one of your friends saying, I don't want to kill you, but I have to. That's what's happening. They're killing each other. They turn on each other. Israelites didn't even pick up a weapon. And the Bible says there were so many dead bodies that it took three days for the Israelites to collect their belongings. Look at verses 26 to 30. 26 through 30. On the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Baraka, where they praised the Lord. This is why it is called the Valley of Baraka to this day. There's a, in my Bible, a C footnote. I have the NIV. If you look down on the bottom of your Bible, it's the Valley of Blessing. You know why it was the Valley of Blessing? It was a Valley of Blessing because God wanted his people to remember it is the Lord's battle, not your battle. I will give you the victory. I believe God is saying that to us today. It is not our battle. But the Lord will give us victory. And let me be very clear. That victory will not always mean healing. That victory might not always mean you're going to be rich. But you know what that victory is? Intimacy with God. That's the most precious gift that you can have. Intimacy with God. And that's what we see happening here. And then God gives them icing on the cake. The enemies kill each other. Verse 27, Then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem, returned joyfully to Jerusalem. For the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lutes and trumpets. Verse 29 and 30. The fear of the Lord came upon all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace for his God had given him rest on every side. What I love about these three verses is the credit goes to who? God. It was the Lord. It was the Lord. It was the Lord. And I pray that in our lives, in this church, 
we will always say it is the Lord. It is the Lord. It is the Lord. Never may any credit go to man. And it says God had given them peace on every side. First Corinthians one thirty one says, Let him who boasts boast in the Lord. It is all about him. And I've seen this in my personal life. I shared in my previous messages of how I've experienced personal uh, battles in my own life, but where I did not have to fight, but God fought for me. Uh, my premature birth and my mom praying for me, um, even though she was an unbeliever, but she prayed to God with a genuine heart and vowed to dedicate her life as well as mine to the, to the Lord. And uh, if, if God spared me, and God did, and just everywhere in my life, through seminary and God providing finances to be able to finish schooling. Um, I don't know if I shared this with you, but when I was in Korea, in Korea, uh, there are public pools, and uh, it's, it's free. And uh, my mom told me this story, so I don't remember a little bit, but, but I believe uh, that uh, when I was somewhere between the ages of three to five, I actually, without her supervision, somehow jumped into a pool and uh, I drowned. And she says that I was underwater for about two to three minutes. And um, and uh, they pull me out and I'm standing here. So I survived. But but even that, you know, I'm amazed. Um, uh, I remember when uh, I uh, was in seminary, Chuck Swindoll was one of my favorite preachers. He used to pastor a church in Fullerton and he went to uh, Dallas to be the uh, president of Dallas Theological Seminary and also pastor of Stonebriar Church. So me and my friends, as their gift to me for graduating seminary, decided to go on a road trip. We're in a two-door Acura Integra, small. And it was the three of us. And we're going to dro- drive from L.A. to uh, Dallas. Anyways, on our way back, we went through Arizona and it snowed. It's crazy. And uh, as we're driving, two of them in the front, I'm in the back sleeping with no seatbelt. And as we're driving... Uh, our car started to swirl and do 360s on the highway. And our car actually flipped over. And, um, and I remember this experience vividly. And the thing is, is this. All three of us, we didn't even get a cut anywhere, not even a scratch. And the truck driver who came to rescue us said, it's a miracle. And uh, we went back to church and the church had like a, like a welcoming party for us. But that was amazing that even in that incident, not even wearing a seatbelt. And as I just think about these incidences in my life, I realize um, that the hand of God, the hand of God is on his children. And we need to constantly trust him. And we need to understand that we have entered the valley of blessing. Because what does the Bible say in Romans 8? That if we are in Christ Jesus, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we need to understand how blessed we are. And so, if we ask God for help, believe that God can handle the situation, and we express thanks to God in advance, no matter what we're going through, we are actively worshiping God. We are actively worshiping Him. This touched me. I came across this uh, article, and I don't know if you know who he is, but C.T. Studd. What a, he is a stud. What a name. He's a, he's a British missionary who was born into a wealthy family. 
He forsook the, his pursuit of law to follow Christ, the call of Christ to China. And he served in China and India for 21 years. And he returned home broken in health. But he soon uh, heard God's call again, call again on his life to go to Africa. At the age of 53, he set on in his missionary journey to Africa. And some questioned him. You shouldn't go. You're like old and, you know, you're not in good condition. Your health. And they, they, they discouraged him to go in light of his circumstances. And at the age of 53, he still went. And he penned these words. I don't know if you ever heard this quote. This is what he said. And I quote, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And then he said another quote that's attributed to him. The light that shines the farthest shines the brightest at home. You know, the lighthouse represents the purpose and mission of the church. And a lighthouse is a tower with extremely strong light that serves as a navigational aid for mariners. Lighthouses help sailors determine their position. And the church exists to be a tower of God's grace and truth, shining the strong light of Jesus Christ as a navigational aid to those who are seeking guidance through dangers of life, storms of life. So it's a powerful image symbolizing the significant work on earth. Now, the ancient Egyptians still hold the world's record for the tallest lighthouse. It's 400 feet. But today, with the assistance of a huge compound lens, that light from a lighthouse can be seen a distance of 20 miles. And so... um, The article, it says this. Do you know where the light from a lighthouse shines the brightest? It's at the point of origin. It's home base. And that light shines the furthest when it shines the brightest at home. So what's the point of this? God's intention of us fulfilling the Great Commission in this world is directly tied to how we live our lives here in this church. How we live our lives in our neighborhoods how we live our lives in Norwalk, in this local community. If we want to see the Great Commission filled, fulfilled in our world today, we need to start right at home. We need to start right at home. And I believe this because in Acts 1.8, don't turn there, you don't have to turn there, but the Apostle Paul says, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit when he comes to you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And I don't know if I'll get an opportunity, but there's a chronological order to that from nearest to outward. Why? There's been studies done by George Barna where effectiveness in global outreach outside of Norwalk, outside of the local church, is directly related to the, the purpose that the church undergirds in their, in their walls and in their local community. Churches actively engaged in evangelism and ministry at the ends of the earth, beyond Norwalk and overseas, L.A., are among the most faithful in reaching cross-culturally in their own towns and in their cities. So basically the studies reveal, and it's not even a debate, that the churches that go the longest and the furthest in terms of evangelizing outside of their city and community are the ones who are doing it in their city and community. Does that make sense? And as I read that article and I read these statistics, I was convicted. I was very convicted. If we're trying to win the world to Christ, we need to win our community to Christ. And that's what God blesses. 
And I see that throughout Scripture. Judea, Samaria, and Zavia. There's a chronological order to that. That doesn't mean that, practically speaking, like we're out in L.A. and there's someone who's ready to receive Christ and we go, oh no, I need to go to my local. That's not what it's talking about. You know, you know my heart. That's not the, don't misunderstand. But it's saying the church must be very intentional, as that is the vision or theme this year, to make sure that this congregation, within this church, within our neighborhoods where we live, Tim said it beautifully, grocery market, where we are, we are practicing it, then God will bless it when we go out to the ends of the earth. That's what it's talking about. And that's the challenge. I want to close with this last verse. Matthew, can we all turn there please? Matthew chapter 5. Verse 14 through 16. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. This is Jesus speaking. Matthew chapter 5, 14 through 16. Reading of God's word. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put a, it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and give it gives light to everyone in the house. Verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before men. It's a beautiful passage. That they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. I pray that this passage, in the same way, let your light shine before men. That they may see your good deeds and praise Grace, brethren, no, but would praise your Father in heaven. And I pray that the light that shines from this community would be a beacon, this church to this community and the surrounding cities in conjunction with what this church's mission is for outside of Nowak. And I pray that God's work and God's light And that every single one of you here today and those who perhaps weren't able to make it to church would turn their worries into worship, not Monday, but even today. I'm going to give you a chance to do that as we close our eyes and bow our heads. With everyone's eyes closed and heads bowed. Are you worried today? Is your heart full of anxiety? Did you, have you come to the end of yourself? Maybe you are that faithful Christian and you are praying, you're reading the word and yet there's still prayers that need to be answered by the Lord. Yes or no, but still you need to hear a word from God. If you're here today, just with everyone's eyes closed and heads bowed, can I just ask you to just stand? No one's looking. You're a Christian, but you're tired. And you need God to infuse you with his hope, his strength, his joy to continue going. I see that sister standing in the back. I see that brother, sister, the mom, wife. see that gentleman standing right here in the front. I want to say a prayer for you. God, you see those standing and perhaps those who are not, but their hearts are filled with uncertainty, pain, anxiety, But Lord, these are men and women who love you. 
and you profess to be Christian. God, I pray that your supernatural peace, power would fill their hearts and mind. May they be persistent in their pursuit of you. May they seek you with all of their heart. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 13. If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me, says the Lord. And I pray that you would bless their families and whatever anxiety or whatever strength they don't have, Lord, I pray that they would seek, continue to seek you first. God, that they would believe in your presence, power, and your promises. And that even now, in the midst of anxiety and despair, that, Lord, they would worship you like Jehoshaphat and the nation of Israel. And that, God, you would infuse them, make them realize that the victory, the battle is not theirs, but it is yours. May they surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, for those of you who are still here, you may be seated. That are non-Christian. You're an unbeliever here today. You've come to church, but you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. You want his support. You want his love. You desire him. You may not know that much about him, but the Bible says in Ephesians 2 9, it is by grace through faith that we can be saved. Not works so that no man can boast. If you're today and you want to accept Christ, I'm going to lead you in this time of Uh, dedicating yourself to the Lord. So with everyone's eyes still closed and heads bowed, if you're here and you want to accept Christ and you want to surrender your life to Him and repent of your sins and have a relationship with a perfect God through Jesus Christ who gave you His righteousness, His perfection and took on your sins, can you rise so I could pray for you and lead you into receiving Christ? Is there anyone here? Let me close in prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for your word this morning. God, this chapter, 2 Chronicles 20, is a very, it has a lot of uh, treasures inside of it. Lord, I pray that we will continue to meditate on this chapter, on Jehoshaphat and the nation. And God, that we would do likewise this week. That we would go to you first, God. It's so easy for us, Father, to be self-reliant, but may we just surrender to you. May we pray to you. May we trust you, believing in your promises, presence, and power. And God, may we worship you in the thick of our problems. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Lord, I thank you for everyone here. I ask that you would bless them, that you would love them, and that you would show yourself to them. And we pray all these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.